0: After lunch is often a time of sleepiness. <laughs> and there are usually, so when sleepiness arises in our practice, <clears throat> it's very reasonable to use some kind of device that will help to arouse a little energy that's a Skillful means. Uh, Skillful means are always useful if they are in response to what you're noticing. Not in reaction. If you're in reaction and you're struggling to stay awake, that's often that will just create more tension and then ultimately more fatigue. But it is quite useful to make interventions to bring in fixes. And I usually bring in one of two things in the early afternoon. one is either to uh, do a little chanting, sometimes a little laughing yoga, or sometimes I tell jokes or read something funny. And I think today I, I would, I'll, we'll start with reading something that I think is funny from the famous Swami Beyond Ananda. This is his list of 10 guidelines for enlightenment number 1 be a fundamentalist make sure the fun always comes before the mental realize that life is a situation comedy that will never be canceled a large laugh track has been provided and the reason why we are put on the uh, put the reason why we are put and the reason why we are put in the material world is to get more material. Have a good laughsative twice a day that will ensure regularity. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if we want world peace, we must let go of our attachments and truly live like nomads. That's where I know mad at you, you know mad at me. (laughs) That way, there'll sure to be no madness on the planet. And peace begins with each of us. A little piece here, a little piece there. Pretty soon, all the pieces fit together to make one big piece everywhere. I think that's enough. (laughs) So we could do a few seconds of a little laughing yoga where we do, this is how it starts, we'd go, and it it goes along with the Christmas holidays. (laughs) Ho, 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 ha, ha, ha. And we just start rhythmically. Ho, 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 ha, ha, ha. 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 ha, ha.
1: Ho, ho, ho. Ha, ha, ha. Ho, ho, ho. Ha, ha,
0: ha. Too too much of the ho, ho, ho. (laughs) I think that's enough. (laughs) Anyway, let's all just sit quietly for a moment, feeling the effects of whatever may have touched your funny bone. And you will feel some kind of energetic effect, you'll feel a vibration, aliveness, and use that as an anchor for your attention. You may feel a particular mood right now, just be aware of that. Don't try to do anything about what you're feeling or undo anything. And if your feeling is completely different than whatever I've described. Just notice that. Now that you've oriented yourself to your immediate experience, once again, feel the intimate contact points. Your hands, your lips, your eyes, your rear. Feel the form or the shape of your body. Feel the vibration, the pulse. And let your attention connect with and sustain with the movements that your body makes when it breathes, the sensations that arise from the breath. If it helps you to take one intentional breath, that's fine. Otherwise, let the breath breathe itself. Continue to use the breath as your home base, place to return to, your primary anchor. However, continue to graciously receive the different sensations other than the sensations of breathing whenever they become predominant, receiving the sounds this afternoon, I'd like to invite you to include the different states of mind, states of the heart that may arise and become stronger than the breath. States of the heart, delight, sadness, excitement, states of mind of worry, guilt, regret. other more subtle states of spaciousness, or calm, or ease, other moods and emotions, anger, jealousy, fear, grief, rage. If any mood, emotion, state of heart or mind arises unbidden, and become stronger than the breath. Recognize that that state is present. Accept that it is present and investigate its felt sense, its felt experience. Usually has a physical resonance, physical component. Sadness feels like this in our body. Anger as a certain feeling. Our body feels different when we feel spacious as opposed to fearful. To recognize, accept, investigate that quality of that feeling, how it feels. And also investigate what happens to that feeling when it's felt. Does it get stronger? Does it vanish? Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? Recognize whatever state of mind, mood, emotion. Recognize it as a weather pattern, as a changing condition, like the weather. And when it fades, changes, becomes less compelling, or has passed away, notice it's fading. Then as a means of staying awake and anchored to the unfolding present, we connect again with our breath. We stay, keep our mind in our body and our body in our mind. As with sensations and sounds, same with moods, no need to look for them. But if they arise, then we graciously receive them as the truth of the present moment. Periodically, you can ask the question, what is the state of my heart or the state of my mind right now? Just to familiarize yourself with the fact that there is often some attitude present, either an attitude of openness and relaxation an attitude of resistance, contentiousness. We may be straining to make something happen. This is greed in the mind and this has a felt experience. So periodically check your attitude. Otherwise, settle back into the moment, sink into the breath, stick to it. And only when some state of mind calls your attention Do you then treat it as an equal opportunity to be mindful? Everything is included in mindful attention. And hopefully your mindful attention is imbued with kindness. Just this moment, all else is unreal. feeling too hot is like this, Michelle. Noticing what is predominant in this moment. Noticing the fact that you're aware of this. This is the Buddha and the Dharma. Am I aware? What am I aware of? Keep it simple. Just this moment. Notice if you're waiting for the end. Take your attention off of the bell or the end and feel that state of waiting. Notice what happens to that feeling when you bring it into the light of attention. be able to say inwardly waiting is like this wanting is like this notice what happens When you hear the sound of the bell, simply be aware of hearing. And after you've heard the sound, it begins to fade and you feel the impulse to open your eyes. Be aware of the opening of your eyes and any other movements that you make. Bringing a continuity or a seamless flow of mindful attention to everything you do. So you may not feel this way from the inside, but you've just uh, navigated the hump of the day with flying colors. This is often the time that feels like it's a swamp. And uh, so the fact that you're here, I appreciate your practice, and it's a, a real pleasure sitting with you. Just uh, love to get a little bit of a sense of how it was working with, if you noticed uh, different moods, emotions, different states of mind, attitudes, any of that, any of the instructions, any questions about that or anything you noticed during the sitting, please. Vibration level is really high. Emotion, emotions are very height, heightened, and the physical is very heightened in your awareness. Well, so ironic, but ironically, like at times, the bottom half of my body, I can totally, like some, a lot of times I have to recheck in to even know where my feet are anymore. Sometimes you don't feel the bottom of your, yeah. And that's, that, that is a natural function when we have concentration and tranquility, is our normal perception of our body as existing separate in space begins to melt away. That's a natural that's one of the fruits of practice. And then if you're getting stuck in an emotion, like it just seems to be getting more intense than what. And if you're getting stuck in an emotion and it's getting more intense than what. Usually the times when we're as we would describe it as being stuck in an emotion or getting more intense is usually we're getting stuck in the story or the engine of the emotion, that the story that when re- is repeated keeps feeding the physiological and the emotional reaction to it. So usually at that point we've we've become somewhat insensitive to the felt, felt experience in our body. We're, we've gotten more into the story than the immediate felt experience of it. If you stay with the immediate felt experience of something and you're, not, you're no longer extending the story Doesn't mean you're suppressing it, but you're not giving attention to the story. You're mostly feeling what's happening in your body. The the feelings usually don't last that much. If you're not hearing the story, then it's probably suppressed, right? If you're not hearing. hearing Like, you kind of know where it came from, but you're not really. Like, there's not a course... You're just feeling something. Yeah, very often we may not have a, a partic- any particular content as- associated with a strong feeling. But if we're feeling something without a lot of content, then it's, there's no such thing as being stuck in it. There's just a feeling of it, and it may last a long time, it may not. But stuck is usually caught in a narrative. Uh, so I, I doubt that you're stuck if you're just feeling the feeling. And we're human beings, we're meant to. Human beings feel. That's what makes us um, able to connect. Please. It was a
1: very interesting um, experience with, now when you hear the bell, don't, you know, like I couldn't open my eyes right away. So I was really excited for the bell to ring. <laughs> and then, it out, now you said something about, now see how you feel, like you didn't ring it right away, you know. And it was just like, uh, then I was able to let that excitement go, and get back into the moment, and that was really well. M-
0: excitement is in the moment. Yeah. Looking forward to the bell ringing is also yeah, in, in the, the moment. moment. Everything that you described is in the moment.
1: But I wasn't frustrated about it not ringing.
0: Right. You weren't holding yourself hostage till the bell rang. Yes. Which is what we it. ordinarily do. <laughs> that, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That leads me to. Well, I'll take a few more comments and then I'll describe what are called a little bit more elaboration on the, the way states of mind can either become something that we, we enjoy in the present moment or the cause of our, of our um, being held hostage. In the back, please. Please wait for the microphone if you don't mind.
2: Up to my mouth. All right. Um, This is a question about growing your practice and I have found this um, very unique space where there's comfort to push through as I've been able to extend my time sitting. There's comfort, I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm able to push through longer. Are you talking
0: about in your daily life? mm
2: -hmm, It will here, sitting here or in my daily life Mm -hmm. um, where I'm able to stay present longer for longer periods of time. And I'm interested in kind of... I wouldn't
0: call that pushing through.
2: Right. I realized that after I said (laughs) it, but I'm, you know, I'm a beginner. So there's times where it really does feel like I am pushing through and then I'll... I understand the part about coming back to awareness, come back into your breath when I notice I'm thinking I'm pushing through, right?
0: (laughs) Um,
2: But the, the question I have is where's the space to it's like the zone of proximal development. Where is there a time to actually notice I've done enough and the put the kind of stretching my practice is not as productive as it was, say, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes ago? And I'm having a hard time articulating the question, but um, to sit in that, but then also accept that I have gone kind of past what is... Um, a present space of my capacity for that moment.
0: Okay. Does in, that
2: make sense? I don't know if I'm making
0: any sense. I think I can work with it. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Which means I'm kind of not, but okay. <laughs> in general, we want to, in our practice, learn to both be able to accommodate the, the unique and different experiences, the meditative experiences that are different than our ordinary day-to-day experiences. But to accommodate the, the pleasant ones, the interesting ones, the ones that feel like we're on the edge of what we understand, that we may feel a little afraid of, because it's just not part of our regular practice, and to keep uh, extending our capacity to experience a range of experience. And the direction of our practice is to, to expand the range of unpleasant experiences that we can accommodate, that point where we where our mind will usually say, oh, that's enough, just because it's, it may feel a little uncomfortable to, to keep extending, just like you would be, you know, be in the I swim. And so I hit that point in the swimming pool where every time I, that my mind says, yeah, you're done. And as a practice, I, I made the decision to go a little bit more, just so that I'm not at the effect of whatever my mind tells me to do. So the same thing happens in meditation. We slowly expand our capacity to accommodate uh, different experiences and difficult experiences, and of course, pleasurable experiences. So to expand to include more uh, unpleasant experiences, where we have it hit up against an edge of either what's familiar or what's comfortable, that's in some ways where the action is. That's where we uh, we can actually grow in our capacity but the practice, so there are many times when you feel physical pain and your mind will immediately say, Pain, as soon as I have pain, that's suffering. And our mind tightens up, reacts, and we shut down and we quit. So we want to extend our capacity to just feel the pain of that and see that it's possible actually to feel unpleasantness, intense unpleasantness, and have our mind very happy, balanced, equanimous, we call it equanimity, be able to accommodate that. And that increases as we go along. But practice, even when we've hit the edge, is not meant to be a torture test. We're not meant to be practicing grin and bear it. Because then what we're doing is we're practicing. We may be accommodating more, but we're also practicing and cultivating tension, resistance, grasping. There's all kinds of what we call unwholesome qualities that are being cultivated. So we want to see whether we can, we want to play the edge where we can see if we can accommodate a little more but we want to make sure that we're not tensing up as we do that. We're making sure that we're not turning it into a torture test. If you come to that point where you're actually practicing aversion, I want get me out of here, I'm here, I'm doing it, or you're practicing building a big ego trip about it, boy, am I a great meditator because I can stay with it, <laughs> then it's, you're actually feeding narcissism It's not actually that helpful. So at those times you want to, um, and it's not a failure, you want to very lovingly, very mindfully refresh yourself or start over or change your posture, do whatever you do. But try to do everything just as I recommended with the sound of the bell. When you're ready to open your eyes, notice the opening. When you're ready to make movements, make movement. Everything you do, try to bring a continuity of noticing. But, uh, so extend, but not torture. Maybe that word torture is too extreme, but I think you know what I mean. That's, you have to be your own authority. Notice if your mind is getting, w- once your mind starts getting tighter and tighter, then it's not so useful to stay with things, if you're, if you're building reactivity instead of, instead of equanimity. Please. Maybe on the heels of that, my last question, you, thank you by the way for suggesting, I sat on the floor, which kept me much more awake. Did I suggest that? I believe we're standing. And <laughs> keeping, I tried to keeping my eyes open. It didn't seem to work I, um, in the uh-huh. last time. So thank you for that. But at the same time, what it brought was not necessarily torture, but much more alive feelings in my body, which I was forced to recognize. And so it's a little bit on the heels of a question. Was that a good thing? I felt like, wow, I'm not brain dead now. I'm actually starting to... Pay attention to these yes. thoughts at the same time. Yes, when we are, when we live so much in our thoughts, we become disembodied. We become, and our bodies become somewhat deadened. And then, why do you think we need to? Why do they need to spend a billion dollars on a movie to to get us to feel? Because we've gotten so deadened. We we've, we've stopped being able to feel the extraordinary aliveness. And there's nothing juicier than you and I talking right now. But it becomes, our life becomes kind of dead, and then we're always looking for the next experience, aren't we? So you, if, as soon as you start to feel your body, feel that aliveness, remember, reality is what makes the present so vital, so different from past and future, which are mental. So reality is very alive, and that's a little freaky at first, when we start to come back into our body. And it also means that you feel things in your body that, that normally are very strongly associated with suffering, which means you may feel burning or aching or things that... Uh, and many people will feel restless in a way that they, they just want to jump out of their skin. And all of that is part of re-inhabiting our body and it's part of being human. So welcome. I think it's great. And it gives you a lot, speaking of Swami beyond Ananda, it gives you a lot of material. You know there's, it gives you something to to anchor your attention to. Please.
2: Can you describe the difference between awareness and mindfulness?
0: Could you say more about your question so that i <laughs> so that I don't just do a theoretical thing? I,
2: I'm just having a difficult time figuring out what it means to be aware as opposed to what it means to be mindful.
0: Okay, thank you for the question. So awareness, when I asked you to, to stop being aware, what happens? Just tell me what happens for you. If You can give her the microphone back. Oh, you still have. What happens when I say stop being aware?
1: I start thinking more about it.
0: Oh, you start thinking about it. But can you stop being aware? No. Okay, so whatever that is that you know as awareness is just completely primordial, it's natural. It's uncaused, it's just you before you can think, you're aware. So it's just to know that. So that's aware. Now mindfulness is, is focusing that awareness on either, either the fact of awareness or on a particular object. So it's, it's anchoring that, that same awareness that's, that's very amorphous, invisible, doesn't have a location, doesn't have a height, a depth, a color, a form, a shape, it's taking that and giving it an anchor, something that reflects back the fact that you're aware. so it could be your your tush on the cush. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so if you once you once awareness then gets focused on that that feeling of the rear on the cush, that's mindfulness. that's mindfulness and it's mixed with mindfulness is always mixed with what's called clear comprehension so not only do you know that there's a sensation that's being felt, but you know what sensation it is. And you know it's your right buttocks versus your left buttocks. Or you notice that it's pressure or tingling or heaviness or temper- some kind of temperature. That's mindfulness. So mindfulness is that which knows an object. And sometimes mindfulness knows, it's sometimes um, when awareness knows itself, it's called maha satir, the great mindfulness, mindfulness of mind. But for our purposes here, it's mindfulness of changing objects. That's what we're doing. Does that begin to be like um, intuition? Like knowing before thinking
1: something Not, really,
0: uh, Not exactly, but I'm, and I don't mean to just put down what you're saying. No, but, no, intuition is, is a, a different animal. Please, last one in the back and then I. Or.
1: Hello. So, you talked about devices for increasing energy
2: in the balance between energy and tranquility, because that can result
0: in sleepiness.
1: Can you talk about devices when you have high energy and low tranquility? Yes,
0: thank you for reminding That was going to be part of this next little section, but while you're asking, um, clearly when we have high energy and low tranquility, we tend to ha- be restless. And so restlessness is a, is a sign of that imbalance. So what's needed at that time is more tranquility. What's needed is more tranquility and a little lower on the energy. So the energy, one of the things that, that, that softens our energy, one of the things that, that makes our energy jagged and too much is what we, what we would call, there are so many words that we could use, but the way, I like the way the Tibetans describe it. They describe it as the winds have moved up. And so what we're, what's needed are, are for the winds to move down. It's often when we, are, we become so uh, head-located, in a way. It's energetic. It's not really in the head. That's just a, it's a metaphor. But the winds have moved up, so we want to bring our attention down into the... And again, there are many, many words to use for the, the lower part of our body, the the hara, below the belly button, the cough, the dantian, the different words that are used. You want to gather your energy much more into the insides of your body and lower in your your body. And sometimes that will will bring the winds down, lower the energy, and also increase tranquility. So bringing the attention down into the belly. That's one. Another thing that increases tranquility is staying very closely connected to the meditation object. And in the case of uh, what our primary object of meditation, our first tool, our primary anchor, the home base, we've been using the breath wherever we feel it. And if you really stay connected to that experience of breathing in and breathing out, you sustain through the duration of the breath, you'll find that it will increasingly bring greater tranquility it will also uh, it will bring energy but it'll bring bring energy that is balanced with tranquility so sometimes the restlessness is because our mind is not able to stay with the stay with the object other simple devices for for working with restlessness and agitation is to often our restlessness is the result of, a, of experiencing a lack of uh, what feels perceptually like a lack of space, mm-hmm. like you don't have room. Any of you ever feel that? Yeah. And what that often ignores, and it's just a matter of getting used to it, it ignores the fact that the nature of our awareness, nature of our mind, is vacuous. There's always space there's always room and so one of the ways of, of bringing about a little greater ease when we've gotten wound up with restlessness is to as the tibetans put it unfurl your mind open it up like as though your mind was like a clear empty sky try it right now imagine that i am that this room that your mind is like an empty sky and everything in this room is included within your mind and this so your mind right now is kind of sky like and open and impartial it doesn't it's everything's okay there's enough room for everything and notice how that affects your nervous system how it affects your body when your mind is like an open sky does that resonate at all no? so that's a little bit of uh, i'll give you one last little piece on restlessness often restlessness not just as an energetic state that's based on energy and and tranquility, but sometimes restlessness as a mind state is related to the mind being fixated or dwelling excessively in the imagined past or the imagined future. So whenever our mind dwells in the imagined past or the future, our mind becomes very narrow, very linear. I've come from the past, I'm passing through the present on the way to the future. So it, we start thinking we live in this little tunnel of going from the past to the present. And all that's just mind ma- it's made up. We've never really left the present. We're always just an unfolding present. Does that make sense? But once our mind gets into that idea of past and idea of future, throwing the past behind us, the future in front of us, often we start feeling narrow, often feel tight and often the thoughts of the past are based on replay, which is regret, guilt, and trying to work out what happened in the past, and because it's gone, and it doesn't even exist really, except as feelings in the present moment, we we just get more and more wound up, because the past is gone. And then the same with the future with worry and fear, so our mind projects a future, gets very narrow, and because the future is unborn, you can't do anything about it except for caring for those feelings as they're arising in the present. So if you don't notice you're fixated on the future or the past, you'll just feed this kind of narrow band of tension. If you notice it on the other way, notice, oh, I'm thinking about the past and the present. Oh, I'm thinking about the future. I'm worrying. And you feel it, and you let that, the, feeling, the felt sense of that guide you back to the living present you'll start to relax. You'll start to feel tranquility. You'll start to feel the winds drop and with a lot of energy at the same time. That makes sense? So you can see how everything revolves around your relationship to the present moment. What am I doing with What's, what's my mind constructing right now? Is it constructing the past? Is it constructing the future? Is it just taking in the the sense data, or is it is it proliferating? Is it is it, um, is it complicating the simple reality of the, of the sixth sense experiences with a whole big drama? My big issue. Any of you have a big issue? <laughs> See that as one of my teachers said. He says. Well, uh, he says, "Well, I'll I'll give you a poem from one teacher, and I think it it speaks to all these questions about worry." And this is from Hafez, the great ecstatic poet. He says, "Why do, um, why are, you, uh, wait, no, how does it go? Um, why are you so unhappy, or something?" Um, why are people so unhappy? They've all built a shrine to the past and often go there and do a strange wail and worship. <laughs> what is the beginning of happiness? It's to stop being so religious like that. Oh, what do, what do people who are sad have in common? They've all built a shrine to the past and often go there to do a strange wail and worship. And I wrote the second verse for myself. What do people who are worried have in common? They've all built a shrine to the future and often go there to do a strange wail and worry. What's the beginning of happiness? It's to stop being so religious like that. And there's another one, but I've forgotten it now. So all we, we don't stop doing that. We just, we just notice that our mind is doing it. And even the worrying thoughts or the guilty thoughts, uh, they, they wake us up to where we are. You, I can sense already as you're all here with me and I'm here with you, and we spend a little more time together. And we're doing maybe a little less looking back and a little less looking ahead. I know I'm sure there are people who are waiting for the end of the day already, or you know, thinking about how good the morning went and how lousy the afternoon's going. <laughs> but for the most part, we're we're here a little less a little less constructing the past, a little less constructing the future and the more we just settle in here, this is where this is where how Sangha is created and we start to feel a little bit of the, the uh, natural happiness of being conscious, being awake. please a soft question. The uh, tough question?
1: Yes. So how do we make it a part of our daily life, day in and day out, then?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is the t- that's both the easy question and the tough question. Well, the the easy answer is uh, make it the make it the most important thing in your life. Go to the go to those refuges in whatever flavor. You can call it Jesus if you want. doesn't matter. But go to your wakefulness, go to the truth of what's happening, and and make sure that you keep company of people who who also remind you of that. I don't I don't mean exclusive company, but enough people on your your wider board of directors that that are <laughs> reflecting back to you what you value, and you do that, and then you from the time you wake up in the morning till the time you go to bed, be awake. Um, and if you find that you're not doing it in your daily life, then you talk to somebody who can support you or go to retreats, go to residential retreats where it really sinks in, uh, where it becomes a habit and where your love for, for truth and love for reality gets stronger than your love for distraction. And until we hit that critical mass, we're, we just basically we're just pawns in the consumer game. The whole consumer machine. I was going to read a passage that it's all about keeping us greedy to keep going, so that you know you're not going to get any help from the consumer culture, except they they have tried to co-op some of our spiritual yearnings in advertising. That one I often share is this character named Spence, who's who's seen surrounded with a pile of stuff, and and Spence is quoted <laughs> by saying, um, Pence has, "Spence has." Um, used a, uh, an old philosophy. I forgot the way it put it. But he, his, the punchline is, uh, to be one with everything, you need one of everything.
1: <laughs>
0: Please, in the back. Wow, this day is going way too fast. I
1: wanted to go back to something, um, uh, actually, to Eckhart Tolle that you referenced this morning, because yes. he makes the distinction between psychological time and chronological time that we get lost in our, as you've been um, alluding to, the, the future and the past. But he does, and I'm never quite understood it. How do you actually stay present while you plan, or while you organize, or while you, because you do, we do have to think and go into the future just to. Get our, we don't. Yes, we do. Okay. <laughs> and, and likewise, if you're writing your memoirs, I mean, all of us sort of make sense of who we are now by reflecting on our past yeah, and looking but at our past. All
0: reflecting and all planning takes place in the living present. Everything that's paradoxical.
1: Here. So, like, if you're right now planning about,
0: if you're planning about the future, you have to know. You have to mix your whatever your thinking is with the react with the recognition that you are in a process here and now in the living present of planning.
1: Of planning. So it's naming it just as you do anything else in meditation. it's
0: just knowing it. And knowing that sometimes you'll become, as part of your reflection, become absorbed in the picture of where you may be going or what you're going to do and how you'll feel, but that you exploit the moments where you wake up and realize, yes, this is part of the planning process and I'm here planning that the future does not exist except as a projection, as a plan in the present moment. So
1: you don't get sucked into the emotional state of the worry. You warrior. may at
0: times, but hopefully you, if you're in the habit of knowing that there is only the living present, that you, you, you're, <coughs> your, your, your greatest orientation will be to the fact that you're planning here. Okay, thanks. And then, then you're free to plan, <laughs> free to remember, free to ruminate, free to do everything. But you're awake doing it.
1: Okay, great, thank you. Yeah,
0: so that there's there's room for that paradox. Last one. <laughs> I'm sorry. We don't get this chance to dialogue that often, so.
1: This is a simple question. <laughs> at the <laughs> at the end of every meditation session, I find myself labeling it like, "Oh, that was a good one. That was a bad one." <laughs>
0: that's so, a bad one <laughs> that's so, a bad habit <laughs> yeah
1: like at the end like what you know I, I feel like my mind needs to say something just to you know top it off or yeah so what do you recommend saying
0: <laughs> that was a meditation period <laughs> no honestly i think it's great that you're noticing that your mind habitually does that this is insight practice so you get to see what you're what your top tunes are, what your patterning is. And so that's actually good news to notice that, but I wouldn't extend that habit because all that does is turn uh, turns a bad one into a bad feeling and a good one into elated, and then you're dependent on a good one to feel happy. Right. And that leads into what I after our short, very short walking period I'd like to say about happiness uh, as part of our last sitting and the closing of the day. And, and you're hitting right on, the, the, um, the vortex of where we either make happiness or suffering in our life. So I'm really happy that you saw that. <laughs> Don't feed it, though. Anyway, So we have, we have an opportunity now just to stay cooking a little bit. And I, it's hard to sit the entire afternoon, so just to aerate your bodies a little bit. But try to do everything, even the transition to walking practice have it be part of the flow of mindfulness and we'll do just a 10 or 15 minute walk, get some fresh air even pick up the pace on the walking to give yourself some energy but try to stay conscious continuously and then and every time you realize that you've gone unconscious uh, rub your heart and say it's okay, (laughs) no judgment and for a few of you who may want to check in, I'll, I'll stay right here. Just say hey.